I'm Kimberly C. Paul. Today we talk with Ashton Applewhite. She's a blogger, an author, and an anti-aging advocate. How do we become the architect of our own destiny? Throughout two decades of working with the dying, I think I've discovered the secrets to dying well in America. We must learn to build the pathways to our last chapter, to create the blueprints that reflects our individual lives and values. Knowledge is power, and if we desire a death that reflects our life, we must become the designer. just want to thank you. I know you're a busy person, but to take the time out to really talk about a subject that's related to aging, not really death, but we're all aging every day. Um, so what is ageism in your opinion? Well, the, the textbook definition is discrimination and stereotyping on the basis of age. Um, I, I say we're being ageist anytime we think differently or, you know, make an assumption about a person or a group of people based on how old we think they are. And it's important to point out also that um, ageism also discriminates against young people, right? It's any assumption that someone is too old or too young to be good at something, to be listening to something, to have a valid opinion about something, you know, all of that is ageist. Well, and the funny thing is, you, I mean, you have a TED Talk out that I've seen probably 20 times, <laughs> um, but your your book is really This Chair Rocks, A Manifesto Against Ageism, but you really talk about how we discriminate against ourselves. I know, it's pretty nutty, right? I was, I, you radically changed my perspective and I did a paradigm shift during your whole TED Talk and I was so, I even, as my my family met over Thanksgiving, I'm like, why are you downing yourself about your age? Celebrate it. Yay. Just because of you. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, why, how did you become interested in this topic? Can I just, can I tackle one thing first sure. so that you said, even though, I mean, I really, really appreciate it, but I, I don't want to be known as the person who thinks, you know, everything about aging is great because there are many things about aging that are difficult. My issue is that we so seldom hear the other side of the story. We have a cultural narrative that aging is all about loss when, and there are real losses, but the only two inevitable losses are some aspect of your physical function. Some part of your body is going to go to hell and you are going to lose the people that you've known some of them your whole life, but nothing else negative is inevitable. And there are also many, many gains. So let's tell both sides of the story. Not that not that aging is great, but that it is way, way better from the way it's depicted in the media and in literature and on the news and reflected as you were saying and people's like blaming stuff on aging that's often not about aging or, you know, not aging related or looks skipping over the very benefits. I mean, I wrote a really cranky post not long ago titled if aging is so awful, how come no one wants to be any younger? Well, yeah. Seriously, serious question. Even people who don't have an ounce of, you know, political awareness about it, which very few people do, you know, these are new ideas. But even that, people don't, they, they don't want, you know, they'd like, they'd like their, 
their younger cartilage back or their unlined faces or whatever. But if you have to trade that for everything you've learned and all the, the years it took you to get to where you are, no one wants to make that swap. And think how much easier it would be that mind shift if we didn't live in the culture that barraged us with all these negative messages from birth to death. Mm-hmm. Especially like the anti-aging cream. I mean, that whole industry around that. I mean, that, that's that's interesting to me. And I believe but it, you- it starts even younger. It starts in, in childhood. I mean, partly because kids are listening to wrinkle cream ads on TV, but children's books. You know, there are, if you look at the depiction of older people in most children's books, it's, you know, the, the, the wicked witch, the evil crone, or, you know, the cranky Homer Simpson, Grandpa Simpson, or um, the other end, the sort of wise sage or the placid granny in her mm. rocking chair, when in fact, you know, the longer we live, the more different from one another we become. And that's why it's so important to describe aging in, in all its diversity because that's how you break stereotypes. Mm, good points. Now, how did you get interested in this entire topic? Um, I certainly didn't plan it. Um, if you had told me that I would be become fascinated by aging, I would have thought, you know, why do I want to think about something so scary and depressing? Um, in hindsight, it was because I was afraid of getting old myself. Um, nothing, nothing like 2020 rearview mirror. Um, uh, it began as a project about people over 80 who work, inspired by my in-law, my, my in-laws, my mother-in-law, who was 80, in her mid-80s at the time and was a bookseller. And um, so I started interviewing people over 80 who work because it was a nice, safe, contained, upbeat, positive way of starting to think about aging where I didn't have to think about any of the uncomfortable things like, you know, falling apart and dying. Um, and, but I also started researching longevity because I am a researcher and just started bumping into these aha moments every five minutes, um, that, that shattered every assumption I had, I had about what it was like to be that old. I mean, I, you know, I assumed old people were depressed because they were old and they were going to die soon. It never occurred to me, you know, there was any other possibility and in fact, there's this incredibly well-established um, data curve called the U-curve of happiness that shows that people are happiest at the beginnings and the ends of their lives. And then I thought, well, they must have cornered two 80-year-olds and gave them a cookie and said, how do you feel? I mean, I just didn't believe it at all. <laughs> right. And it, it, it has been borne out by dozens of really big studies in the U.S. and around the world. I thought, well, it must be fine if you're rich. It must be fine if you're healthy. It obtains independent of, of class, independent of where in the world you live. And uh, you know, so I, w- I just thought, why, why don't people know this stuff? Also, you know, I was sure like another thing that must really suck about getting older is I literally had this mental cartoon of the, the, st- the shadow of the grim reaper, you know, stretching ever d- more darkly over your, you know, sad iron bedstead. And the longer people live, the less they fear dying. And, you know, so and there was just, there was surprise after surprise after surprise. So really the catalyst for the, I mean, it became, why don't we know this? We live because we live in a culture that drowns out all the negative. And the short reason for that 
is that if aging can be framed as a problem, like your wrinkles, then we can be persuaded to buy stuff to fix it, in quotes, or stop it, in quotes. And if aging is framed as a disease, right, if you're testosterone is getting lower or you have perimenopause or you can't remember the name of, you know, the movie you saw last week, then that's mild cognitive impairment. Whoop, whoop, whoop. <laughs> um, you know, th that then we can be persuaded to buy stuff to cure it in quotes right. and aging is not a problem and it's not a disease. It is a, you know, just like dying. It is this natural, powerful thing that happens to all of us and should unite us, not divide us. Well, what do you think is the bottom of that U-curve of happiness? Who are those people? Oh, there's a ton out about that. There's a new book coming out by Jonathan Rausch called The Midlife Crisis. I mean, it's... Is it corporate it's, America? And But we all choose it. I mean, the majority of us choose it. Choose what? Like to be part of corporate culture, conform to... Well, I you, think it's corporate culture. I think it's more baseline human. Hmm. Well, I think it's a function. I wonder, that's a good question. Is it a function of, say, industrialized society? I think most of the thinking goes that in midlife is when you have the most responsibilities. You know, your your kids still need, you know, care and feeding and orthodonture. Your parents may be needing more help from you. You are supposed to be in the height of your career. So you're supposed to be working like a dog. And P.S., it's also the time where it starts to dawn on you, if you're thinking about it at all, when most of us are at some point, or, or it's foist upon us, that, you know, you may not actually run that, um, you know, marathon or get to Kilimanjaro or learn Chinese or, um, you know, marry Brad Pitt, whatever your dreams are. And that reckoning, you know, where, you know, that, that there there's might be more road behind you than ahead and that you... Um, you know, life is not infinite and you are not going to get to do everything in your fantasies is, you know, it's, it's part of life. I don't think it's tragic. Right. Um, and it's even a relief. I mean, the burden, I, there, Laura Carson talks about the burden of the future. You know, when you're in your twenties and in theory, everything is possible and every decision seems so fraught, that's exhausting and terrifying. And there can be enormous, you know, clarity and liberation saying, well, you know, I, I made these choices and they're helping me to see my path. And I don't need to weigh every single, you know, liberating or terrifying possibility in the way I used to when I was younger. So like everything, it cuts both ways. Yeah. And you know what I thought, and I'm, I'm 46, but I thought, is this as good as it gets? Is this, is this really well, life? Now you I, at the pit of the trough. Well, and I'm unmarried, never been married. I don't have children except uh, a, a four- a four-legged, you know, German shepherd. Um, and I left court corporate in America hoping to find that this is not all there is. There has to be something else out there. Um, yeah. And so maybe it is, maybe me leaving corporate America and cashing in my retirement at 46, maybe that is my midlife crisis. Yeah. <laughs> at least my father thinks it is. <laughs> well, you know, life, I mean, life is full of surprises and life is long. If you had told me, you know, 20 years ago that I would be fascinated by aging, I would have thought, you know, why do I want to spend any more time than I have to thinking about this awful thing that's going to happen to me? And here I have, you know, found this incredible, you know, career at a stage where most people are winding down, whether by choice or necessity. Well, and the one thing that, you know, reading your book, watching your TED talk, it's made me aware of ageism. 
And why is why, in your opinion, is it important just to be aware of it? Well, I th- I think it's really important from a personal level because I think when we accept the notion that our older self is worth less than our younger self, that's a that's a terrible punitive corrosive vision. It's like if you were, if you're heavy and you think I'm just, I'm lesser than if I weighed 120 pounds, or if, if only I were blonde, if only I were this, if only I were that, not only, you know, it, it just, it, I think it really, really constrains our sense of ourself and it's bad for our health. We know there's fascinating research that shows that attitudes towards aging affect how our minds and bodies function at the uh, cellular level, that people with more positive feelings towards aging walk faster, you know, do better on memory tests, take better care of themselves, clearly, because they're sort of not dreading getting older. So, you know, there's a bit of a self-fulfilling piece of that. And so there's no question in my mind that becoming aware of ageism is really important for your own personal well-being and also the social and cultural and economic costs of ageism are devastating. You know, when older people are forced out of the workforce or can't get a job to be told that, you know, everything you've learned over, you know, 20, 30, 40 years as a professional, whatever it happens to be is useless. Or as a woman to be told, you know, well, gee, you know, you have some wrinkles, so we don't want to look at that around here. Um, And just the, the, the function of, you know, the tremendous age segregation in American society. It is crazy how few people have a friend who, a close friend who is more than 10 years older or younger than they are. And that is not the natural order of things. The natural order of things is that skills and stories are passed across generations and not just from wise old people. That's another really annoying ageist cliche. Some old people are wise. Some old people don't seem to have learned a thing along the way. You know, lots of children are wise, but it, you know, it, it, it's, it's, utterly unoriginal and obvious thing to point out that when people of all ages mix, we help each other with the things that the other person doesn't know how to do yet or can't do anymore or doesn't do very well. The vast majority of those tasks have nothing to do with age at all. How much of our lives, especially in modern industrial society, do we actually spend running really fast or lifting heavy stuff? Not much. Right. Right. Good point. Now, is, <laughs> is ageism different for men and women? Ageism is the same thing. Ageism is is any judgment about a person on the basis of age. So it is the same force. Ageism is different for aging is different for women because it is combined with sexism. In particular, the way women are judged more harshly for their appearance that, um, you know, the whole idea, the patriarchal idea of the male gaze and that the job of a woman is to be pleasing so that a guy will want to um, you know, take her home and support her and have babies with her, um, which is needless to say, a rather constrained and old fashioned view of female agency. Um, the, the current, so women are doubly punished. Um, and also there are all sorts of economic repercussions because, because we value women less, we value motherhood less. We don't value caregiving. So it is not paid. 
it is not rewarded. Um, women take do most caregiving, not not all of it by any means. And I don't mean to imply that caregiving is not a beautiful and important part of life, but it is a very lonely, difficult thing to go through without social and economic supports. And it's not very supported in this society. Um, and so we're penalized for time out of the labor force. We don't earn as much to start with. We're less likely to have pensions. If we have pensions, they are uh, smaller and we live longer. So an enormous number of older women end up in poverty. Um, and there are more older women than older men, right? So it's this, it's, you know, it's, it's intersectional. It's all these different and everything that I just described for women is compounded for, women of color by racism. And if you have a disability, it's compounded by ableism. So all these things um, add up and women do have a harder time uh, with aging because of that, which is why it's really, really important for we women to reject the paradigm that we, um, that the, that the, the way to uh, age in society is to compete with other women to try and look young because that is, it's not a game that anyone can succeed at. It pits us against each other. It validates the ageist notion that younger equals better. And we will never find solidarity. You know, when, when we act that way at all ages, we all do it, but we reinforce sexism, ageism, and patriarchy. So my, you know, one of my giant, um, you know, unicorn and rainbow goals is to have women of all ages come together in consciousness raising sessions, which was the tool that catalyzed the women's movement to, because what happened during consciousness raising sessions was that women realized that what they had been thinking of uh, around around sexism as personal problems. You know, they couldn't get a raise, their boss patted them on the butt, their husband didn't make enough money, they didn't, you know, all these feelings of being constrained were not personal problems. They were widely shared political problems that required collective action. We're not there yet with ageism. That broader movement is for uh, you know all genders, all ages, whatever, but women need to find solidarity by casting off this deeply problematic paradigm of competing to age well to come together and make friends of all ages, which is essential because for, for every reason, you know, for the, that, the exchange of stories, as I said, because if we have older friends, we become less afraid of aging. If we have younger friends, we're less competitive and we remember how hard it was to be 20 or 30. And it stops being a competition and we find hopefully solidarity and can come up with better models that involve sharing power instead of competing. I think that's beautiful. And some of my best friends, um, there are family members, but they're they're in their 60s and we're getting ready to go on a, a cruise to Mexico. But I also have really good friends in the, their 20s. That's great. Um, the only thing is with me being a single individual in 40s, my crew is having children and now they're going to soccer games. Yeah, which, that's boring. Yeah. <laughs> I have children and that's boring. Oh my God, those friggin' soft. So I'm going in cruises and they're going yeah. to soccer games. That's the only difference. But it, it really is interesting, um, the intergenerational, even even with bringing children into nursing homes and how that lifts spirits and the connection. Um, you, When we started talking, you really, you 
you talked about interviewing those who are in their 80s and still working. What did you learn from those individuals? That's when I started my blog, my first blog. My blog was originally called so when are you going to retire.com. And I have a bunch of interviews with those people. You know, what I learned from them was not particularly surprising. I learned that they were really different from each other and which was no surprise and in the world in all kinds of interesting ways. Um, and that really didn't surprise me. What did surprise me was how that awareness kept bumping up against my completely blind prejudices that they were somehow exceptional. Hmm. And and they might have been exceptional because we do have a tendency, especially in America where we fetishize independence and the proverbial, you know, 90 year old jumping out of an airplane and which, you know, and more power to those people that I call them super geezers in the book. Um, they, (laughs) they are sort of the, you know, they are the paragons of quote unquote successful aging. But I think it's really, really important to remember that they are outliers, that you don't have to Mm -hmm. jump out of an airplane or even want to jump out of an airplane. And that the stories that really need to be told are the less newsworthy, but more accurate stories of all of those of us, you know, in the messy middle who are not going to jump out of airplanes, but are probably going to be able to get up onto airplanes, you know, our whole life or go where we want to go, even if we can't, you know, my, my ailment is arthritis and stenosis. And the one thing I worry about is mobility, you know, will there, do I need to get off my butt and see as many of the national parks as I can while I can still hike? Right. You know, and that's a, that's a real thing. Um, right. But, you know, if I can't, there's other vacations or they'll, or we'll have robots or I'll have a, you know, a German shepherd, two German shepherds and I'll, you know, tie, tie myself <laughs> to them, you know, the wheelchair as they guide you through the parks. Right. Well, <laughs> that's, I mean, awesome. that's the other thing we have this, something I'm always reminding younger people of is that, you know, once you're out of your twenties, you already can't do X, Y, Z the way you could when you were younger. And you probably didn't even notice. And you probably didn't even miss it that this idea it's woven throughout the book, you know, that mobility is relative and speed is relative. We almost always find a way to keep doing the things we really love doing. You know, if I, if hiking were my number one passion, I would figure out a way to keep doing it. Even if I had to, you know, stick, you know, stick to wheelchair paths or something, you know, I would find a way. And I, we have this, this sort of binary, like old, young, mobile, immobile. Mm. That's not how it works. Well, I live downtown in a historic uh, district in North Carolina. And I, of course, German Shepherd, I walk her daily four or five times a day. And in the early morning, I have, I, I have never met her, but she She's in, I, I've heard she's in her late eighties and nineties and she runs past me and her morning jog, not speedy, but still running. Yeah. And yeah. you know, I wonder when does the mind over matter happen? You know, does that play a role in it? It plays a role. Of course you have to believe it's possible in order to aspire to it. Um, but I don't love the whole idea age um, what there's some, there's some hokey hallmark saying about age is just a, some mind over matter. And if you don't mind, age doesn't matter. That's the saying. Um, that's cute. That can be true, 
But it also implies that if you just have a good attitude, it's all going to be nifty. And a good attitude is essential. And I guess you could say I'm in the attitude changing business because I do think our attitudes are way, way, way too negative and not based in fact. However, because you can always argue it both ways, attitude alone, um, you know, you, you need more than that. You need social supports and 70 or 60 or whatever is still 60. It's not the new 40. It's not the new 30. And I think there is a little denial wrapped up in this idea that age is just a number, you know, and mine is unlisted. I've actually heard people say that, um, you know, age is a real number. And I think it's important to say how old you are. I'm 65 and not be ashamed of it, hopefully. But in the same, same voice, ideally, you know, sometimes I'll say, I'm happy to tell you how old I am, but I want you to tell me why you want to know, or I want to know what changed in your mind once you had a number. You know, it's, it's sort of this paradox. I think, I think age is real. I don't think it's just a number, but I also think it tells a, the, a, the other person very little about me. And the older the person is, the less it tells about them. And that is a biological and social fact, right? Because the longer we live, the more different from one another we become. That it's is why, absolutely true. Right. You know, it's why geriatricians say, if you've seen one 80-year-old, you've seen one 80-year-old. It's why I would like age taken out of newspaper stories, unless it's an obituary. And journalists completely spaz when I suggest that. But then, you know, because to, to us, it's a habit. And I, I do it all the time. You know, someone says, I'm seeing someone know, like, how old is he? I'm dying to know. But that's, you know, it's one of the first ways in which we categorize people. Categorizing is efficient. We can't judge every single person we pass on the sidewalk on a one-by-one -one basis. But most of the assumptions we make, and frankly, that ditto for class, ditto for sex, ditto for everything, are, of course, stereotypes. Therefore, they cannot be true. And if there was no age in the story about, you know, someone running for office or getting a tree out of a cat out of a tree, whatever, you would be forced to, to wonder how old they were, which would be good because you would be, you know, you, you wouldn't be able to, to categorize, that, categorize that activity as something old people do or young people do. And I, in that context, I point out that we used to put race in newspaper stories mm. and we don't do it anymore for the same reason. Well, you know, a couple of months, I would say maybe a couple of months ago, but around 10 years ago, I'm downtown um, having dinner and I was like, you know what? I want a little nightcap. I ended up meeting this group of people going home with them because they were like a group of friends. We were going home and they were like, look, we're having, you know, another cocktail at home. And when I got there about an hour into our in-depth conversation, something, somebody said something and I was like, how old are you guys? And they were 21, 22. And here I am like 36, 37. And here I am hanging out with these individuals. How fun. In, yeah. In-depth, logical. I mean, just very, you know, retrospective. And but something was, I think it was a joke that was said that I was like, how old are you? And when I, <laughs> and then when I, when I, when I heard how, how old they are, I immediately was like, what am I doing? I'm hanging out with 22 year olds. Uh -huh. um, but they made me feel after I knew their age, they made me feel relevant even to 22-year-olds. And it was a really cool thing. So why do you feel that 
exposing yourselves to or having friends in different age groups matter? So that people can have exactly the experience you just described, just like having friends of a different color than you. It's like, mm. you know, oh, they're, you know, it doesn't mean, you know, you're a different color. I, I like you better. I like you less. But you're as like and as different as everyone else I know. You're, you know, that, that you know, the same thing we learn when we travel, that people, that cultures are hugely different, but that human needs are pretty universal. And the same, you know, age is just, just you know, the, the, the difference between, a, you know, a five-year-old and a 10-year-old is huge. And the difference, you know, arguably between even 20 and 25, if the 20 year old is still in school and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, you just told a fantastic story about being with kids who were just in their, and I shouldn't say kids, I don't mean it derogatorily, but, you know, who were, who were in their early 20s. And you found plenty to talk about, which, you know, I, I was I was talking to a friend who's my age about she's single and she wants to have a boyfriend. And I said, well, consider dating younger guys. And she like, oh, I couldn't do that. What if they wouldn't know any of my references? They won't know who Eisenhower is. And I just said, <laughs> I, I said, how much of your time on dates do you spend talking about Eisenhower? <laughs> and she burst out laughing and she said, point taken. They might not know who Eisenhower is, but then you could say, well, here's who Eisenhower was, you know, and it's not, you might not know, you know, their pop music reference references, but either it's either you say you don't know, or you learn who that person is, or you move the conversation to something that's more interesting to, to everybody. It's, you know, the same stuff we do a thousand times a day with, you know, where, where age isn't even part of the equation. I mean, it's, it's just a, it's a dumb reason to be divided. So, you know, if I had one piece of advice to give to everyone, it would be really to seek out friends that are older and younger than you. And if that seems like a very sort of artificial mandate, think of something you like to do. Or a cause that's important to you, you know, community garden, reading group, knitting, whatever, hiking, bird watching. Yeah. Or, you know, German shepherds, whatever right. it wants to be. And then you will have um, a bond in common. So it's not artificial and take it from there. Because when we come together at all ages, whether it's for the Save the German Shepherd Foundation or Improve the Median Strip Foundation or Stop Gerrymandering in Congress group, um, if, if, if everyone at the table is a different age, you dismantle ageism in the process. Ooh, that's a great point. Right. You know, you don't need a separate movement. That's a great point. So I would love for my movement to become obsolete because we, because society becomes intergenerational. And while we're at it, let's have people of color there and let's have people in wheelchairs there and let's have people you know, of all speaking different languages yeah. and I mean, handicaps and disabilities. I, I mean, mean, it's hard. These are hard it is. divisions to, to reach across, but it's, it's only awkward in the really beginning. You know, I have a zillion friends of all different ages. And one of the reasons, you know, I meet their friends, but also I no longer think, oh, well, this young person want to talk to me because I'm so ancient. And I used to think that. And a few of them don't, you know, we were out dancing with a bunch of friends just on Friday, on Friday night. And one of them, a friend of mine in the group, and we were probably, most of us were in our forties, eh, probably, you know, old for the average age of the club. Um, and he, she came over, she said, someone just said, Oh, I don't want to dance over here. There are all these old people. And you know, I, there, I wish that more people my age came out dancing because it's so fun, 
But I sort of wanted to, you know, and there are going to be those few people who go, ew, what are the little people doing there? Because they're brainwashed to equate old with yucky. But that's, first of all, that's their loss, of course. Mm. And most of the people don't notice or care. And there are also a ton of people who are looking over at us. And I know because sometimes they come up and talk to us going, you guys are awesome. Right. They're happy that when they get as ancient as we are, they can still do this. So you're never, you're never going to change everyone's minds. And you're always going to encounter a few jerks. I mean, I wanted to like freeze time for a minute and go over and ask them. Um, and I didn't even see who it was. But like, how does our being here make it less good for you? Why are you thinking of it on zero sum terms, right? Yeah. I mean, I mean, I've been to other events that I see, you know, older individuals at, and I'm like, oh, thank God, because that's going to be me one day. There you go. But you've already started to think about it in a less fear-filled way. And, you know, and there's the whole thing in the book about becoming an old person in training, <laughs> which is just, right. you know, a mental trick. It's a connection to your, to the, all it is, is, is acknowledging you're going to get old someday if you're lucky. So that then instead of seeing an older person as yucky and other, and perhaps, you know, maybe they're moving really slowly. Maybe they look really wrinkled and really bent over. And it is only human to say, gee, that doesn't look as nifty as my relatively more, you know, mobile or healthy state. But that does not mean that their quality of life is poor to them. You know, the, 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 it looks different from inside. And also the men, you, the minute you, you acknowledge that you will get old and which is, which I call becoming an old person in training, then you don't see older people as other. And when you see an older person doing something you admire or doing something you don't like, you can sort of file that away and think, you know, oh, that's a cool setup she's got going on. Or I hope I don't, you know, talk nonstop about my arthritis <laughs> at Thanksgiving dinner. Um, you know, these are behaviors I'm going to strive to, to emulate and award just, you know, just like think of it as a, as a tiny little filing cabinet. And that old version of you can be as far off on the horizon as you need it to be. But if you acknowledge it, then you don't caught up it, get caught up in this rat race of denial, which we all know, you know, in our lizard brain, even if we haven't thought about it consciously, is bogus. It's a, it's a harmful delusion. Well, I mean, this book, this chair rocks a manifesto against ageism. What do you hope? I mean, first of all, I, I would recommend anybody to pick this up. It, it it really is amazing. And I'm working through, I think the last few chapters now, but it, it really has taught me more about me and my, oh, you know, about nice. my, my judgment. And, and it's really caught me. And I've even talked to my family because I'm going on a cruise on Friday to Mexico with no one under 64. Uh-oh, might make you look old. Watch well, out. But you know what? They run circles around me. <laughs> and and they make me laugh. And I think that... They're your friends. Yes. It's and that simple. I love them. And I have never... And the, the interesting thing is, what I feel around them is they accept me totally for who I am. Right. And I that's what I love about... Um, the people, my family that I hang out with, you don't have to hide your imperfections. They already know them, but yeah, we're, we're going on this cruise and we, we've even decided that what, what are our fake names just in case we want to, <laughs> you know, get out of a situation. And, and so we, I mean, it's, I feel like I'm back in high school. 
But what, right. is, what are some of the goals that you hope this book um, helps people understand more about um, ageism or their own awareness about um, their own prejudices against ageism? Well, you, you've already sort of answered the question because, you know, all, all, because everyone is ageist. Everyone is also, you know, racist and sexist. We all are biased. There's, you know, no one's neutral, but at least we have learned, you know, to be more aware of the other biases than we have of ageism. So the very first thing to do, which I wish that, you know, everyone in the universe could and would do is to look at your own attitudes towards your own age and aging and think about, you know, do you make comments on the basis of age or hear things that would never pass muster if they were comments made on the basis of someone's race or someone's sex? Because we can't challenge bias unless we're aware of that. And the very first lesson that people, you know, take away from the book or my talks or whatever is like, oh my God, I'm really biased. And that is uncomfortable. And it is an ongoing process. I, Ashton, am biased too. I think ages things all the time. It's an ongoing process. And there's part of it that is, you know, it's an uncomfortable ask because we don't like to acknowledge that we're biased. We want to think we're fair and that our outlook on life is the right one. But once you start to see ageism, then you see it everywhere. And that's when you can begin, if you want to, to embark on the process that I was describing with the women in the early days of the women's movement to compare notes and say, whoa, if I can't open the jar, it's not because I'm, you know, it's not my fault because I have arthritis. The, the jar should be easy to open, right? If I can't get a date because I have wrinkles, we need, I don't need a facelift. We need a society that, you know, we like, we like old furniture. We like, old flowers, why why do we, you know, why can't we work towards a broader standard of beauty, for example? I mean, I know that's a big ask, but that's the goal. So, so I would say the first and most important task is to look at your own attitudes towards age and aging. And then to step, you know, and to acknowledge like, holy shit, I'm biased. You know, I had all these ideas blaming things on aging, for example, that are not necessarily a function of aging. Um, you know, like that line, the line in my TED talk, like I stopped blaming my sore knee on being 65 because my other knee doesn't hurt. And it's just as old. Right. Well, you know, well, you I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure I'm not the first person. I'm probably going to be the last person. But I mean, you're so funny about this. I mean, I when even in your writing in your TED talk, I'm like, oh, my God, this is a Saturday Night Live skit. I mean, because <laughs> you you bring that humorous side that makes it the 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 fear and the barriers that hey i'm biased too i mean you're, yeah. you're you're part of this sort of cadence and you're like hey i'm trying to be more aware of that um, it's a, it's, a, it's ongoing we're never done <laughs> well i think but you're it's so, so interesting funny. you know aging aging is how we move through life you know it's not just something inconvenient that old people do that's so true so how do people find this book you can look on Amazon where you can see other reviews in case you don't want to believe Kimberly or me. <laughs> and it's available in all different um, electronic formats and as an audiobook. And I have a website, which is thischairrocks.com, which is where I have been thinking out loud about all these things for 10 years and it's searchable by topic. So 
search, you know, look at health, search for health, and you'll see the data around how attitudes towards aging affect our health. Um, search for dementia, and you can see all the statistics about how dementia rates are falling fast, which no one ever talks about. And again, it's not that Alzheimer's isn't a problem. It's that our fears are out of proportion. So there's that. I also have a Q&A blog called Yo, Is This Ageist? which is modeled on the wonderful Yo, Is This Racist blog, <laughs> where you can send in a picture, something you've heard, an article, and ask me whether it's ageist, and I will tell you what I think. If you go to resources, there is the first thing you'll see is a downloadable PDF called Who Me? Ageist, which is a guide to starting a consciousness-raising group around age bias, which is a place to start. You can figure out how to order the book there. Um, and I have a very active Facebook page, This Chair Rocks, and I'm, I'm pretty active on Twitter at This Chair Rocks. And you also have this amazing TED Talk. And what I love about one of the lines that you say in your TED Talk, you're like, you say people don't want to give a TED Talk, they want to have given a TED Talk. Yeah, no kidding. Oh, my God. <laughs> it is a process. Oh, Comple it's, yeah. <laughs> complete process. It's horrible. Yes, it's, it is um, pretty intense. I, I will absolutely say that. Yeah. I want to just thank you. I mean, I, I, this, this has made me, I, I know a better person reading this book, following you and being more aware of where I stand and what I project out into the universe when it comes to ageism. And I, I just really appreciate um, your vulnerability when it comes to talking about a subject that is never mentioned. Thank you. And keep doing good works. I mean, this is, I think this is only the beginning. And this book has really changed me um, and my, my behavior on how I look at young people, at middle-aged people, at my own age people, even my cousins in their 60s. And so I think once we can get past the age and start just learning how to connect on everyone's level is when we're truly connected in a genuine, authentic way. So I appreciate the life lessons that you provided through this book. And it's This Chair Rocks, A Manifesto Against Ageism. You can find it on Amazon. And I, I it would be a great book for Christmas um, or any kind of holiday that you feel that someone needs a good read. Um, so thank you so much, Ashton, for taking the time and for writing this book. Thank you. And you can ask your library to ask your library to stock it. Oh, um, I will. Absolutely. Good. Yeah. Now, or your local bookstore. Could I call the local bookstores and say, please carry this? You can. And the I self-published it. Um, but to the bookstores, that is um, invisible because we sell it through the major wholesaler, just like Simon & Schuster. Um, I did just just today sign a contract with a book publisher um, because finally someone was ready to make me a really good deal. For this so the book? book will be, yeah, for this <gasps> book. Um, it will be, it will be unavailable for six months starting probably in June. Um, and then they will bring out their edition of it a year from now. It's a new edition of Macmillan. So hopefully at that point there will be a book tour and some, because it's, I mean, I've, We've been, I want to say we, my, my partner and I in, in life, he's a very experienced electronic publisher. I have to say I could not have done it without him. Um, but we did a really, really professional job, made a beautiful book. But it's very hard to, you can't get bookstore distribution unless people like you go in and ask the store to stock it. And you, it's very hard to get major media attention. So hopefully 
that will happen a year from now and we'll have some help from big big shots um but i really appreciate all the help from slightly smaller shots like you because um every bit helps thank you so much for joining us today and please everybody go buy this book ask for their (laughs) bookstores to put it into their stores so it can be available and i really appreciate your time today thank you very much kimberly it's been a pleasure keep up your important work Thanks for joining us today. And remember, you're the designer.